Well, when you think about the book of Genesis, it's the book of beginnings. It's first in the Bible. It really gives us the background of the creation of the world and mankind and God's relationship with man, the beginning of the history of God and, and even his chosen people. And there's a lot in this book. We stated many times that you can divide the book uh, of Genesis into two big sections. If you wanted to, go ahead and put the slide up. Uh, chapters 1 through 11 is four key people, and chapters 15, uh, excuse me, 12 through 50 is four key people. Uh, and verses, uh, chapters 1 through 11, the events, the creation, the fall, the flood, and the division of the nations. That's the four key things that sort of happen at the start. And then there are four people that the whole rest of the book, from chapter 12 to 50, they all center around that God, the people that God has chosen. He chooses Abraham, and then he gives a promise to Abraham, and then he chooses Isaac, one of Abraham's sons, gives him exact same promise. Then he chooses Jacob, which is one of Isaac's sons, gives him a promise. And then at, toward the end, we see a son, one of the son of Jacob has 12 sons. This is one of his sons named Joseph. He becomes the key person. So Abraham to Isaac, Isaac to Jacob, Jacob to Joseph. And this evening, we're passing from Jacob to Joseph. We're nearing the end of the study, in a sense. And in fact, if you think about it, we've been in the study for a pretty long time. But when we get into chapters 36, 37, 38, I mean, before you know it, we'll be through with the book of Genesis. And there's so much there. We'll see that Joseph is the man that preserves the nation of Israel, that keeps them all alive. Uh, you know, if Satan could, he would have destroyed the people of Israel because that's the plan. Because they uh, threw Abraham to Isaac to Jacob, really Judah on down to David and all the way up to Christ. That's the Messiah. That's the way the Messiah is going to come. So if God could destroy somehow the, excuse me, if the Satan could destroy somehow the, the people of God and maybe stop the Messiah, but he couldn't, of course. Uh, we're seeing this. Joseph is... Uh, I think the next one, Joseph is, is one of the keys, one of the people, uh, one of the special people in the Word of God. Sometimes Joseph is actually compared to Jesus Christ, and he's called a foreshadow of Christ. I want you to think about this. First of all, that Joseph was loved by his father, rejected by his family, imprisoned, raised up to be a ruler, and became a savior of his people. Think about this. Jesus Christ loved by his father. Rejected by his family. He came into his own and his own received him not. Even his own family rejected him. He was imprisoned. He was put to death. And he was resurrected, raised up as the ruler, as the king of kings and the lord of lords, and the savior of the entire world. So a lot of people, when you look at the life of Joseph, you can say he's almost a foreshadow of Christ, the things that he does, because he becomes the savior of his people. This evening we see a contrast between uh, basically the faithfulness of Joseph and the rejection by his brothers. And, you know, one good thing about it, God's plan can't fail. The brothers say, you know what we're going to do? We're going to kill Joseph. They can't kill Joseph. <laughs> Joseph's going to be the one to save them. And uh, it's really powerful. Uh, the Chapter 36 is really a long passage. Uh, it continues over to chapter 37, but we, we're just going to see how it fits together. Let me, let me break down the study for you. Uh, chapter 36 is going to be a brief record of Esau. It gives a lot of names and things. I'll just remind you of who he is again. And then in chapter 37, we pass to Joseph, favored by the father, rejected by the brothers, sold into slavery. We don't see that all tonight. The chapter's, you know, fairly long as far as chapter 37 has. It goes up to 36 verses. We're just going to stop at verse 21. There's some great things as we go through this. This evening, the transition. Let's look at chapter 36 for just a second. The entire chapter is really a listing of the offspring of Esau. And he is the twin brother of Jacob. Let me just remind you that, that uh, Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. Uh, best we can tell, of course, uh, Jacob, his name means deceiver. Esau means hairy or red. Uh, he becomes, he becomes the, the Edomites. Is that who he becomes? Jacob, of course, becomes Israel, who is the, uh, the, lead, the, the, the main one in Israel. Abraham to Isaac, Isaac to Jacob. Jacob's name changes to Israel. Israel or Jacob has 12 sons. They become the 12 tribes of Israel. 
So Esau is it was called a godless man. The Bible calls him that. He sold his birthright. He he, uh, he lost his blessing. He he is. Uh, uh, we we looked at him and as we compared him with Jacob, we would say, you know, I might like Esau better than Jacob because Jacob was a trickster all the time and he's a deceiver. And Esau, even though he's a godless man, seems to be uh, a decent man. But we don't know much about him. Even though he's called godless, that does not necessarily mean that he was not a believer. Because a godless person is one who leaves out God. And there are many Christians, there are people today that believe in Jesus Christ as Savior, but they live as if he doesn't exist. So godless just means you leave out God. Uh, he's called a godless man that it may be that he was a believer. We do not know. Chapter 36 is the listing of his offspring. Let me give you just a quick thing as we go through it. Look, Let's look first at verses 1 and 2. It says this. Now, these are the records of the generation of Esau. That is Edom. Now, the writer Moses who writes this uh, wants us to understand that Esau, the descendants of Esau, became the people called the Edomites. If you notice that the nation of Israel, if you've ever seen the map, or you think about the map, I, I should have brought a map and put up there tonight. But if you think of Israel, and then there's the Jordan River. And on the east side of the Jordan River... Today is the country of Jordan. But in the time of the Israelites, in the time of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, there were a group of people ultimately became the Moabites, the Ammonites, and the Edomites. And the Edomites were really the descendants of Esau. Moabites, that's, that's where David's great-great-grandmother came from, you know. And so as we st- we'll study that as we get a little further up and put that together. So when it says Edom, these are the Edomites. They live in the hill country of what is called what was called Seir then. Uh, if you go to is if you go to Israel today, uh, I went to Israel in 1976, so it's been a long time. But I've talked to some people who've gone just even recently. You, you know that uh, if you go to Israel, you you if you go. Uh, if you want to go to an Arab country like Jordan, and you might say, why would you want to go to an Arab country like Jordan? Well, because in the Arab country of Jordan, if you go south, there's, on the King's Highway, there's, there's the place called Petra or Sila, which is a really special place to go. And so if you want to go that, and we did want to go to that, you can't go to Israel first and then go to Jordan because they won't let you in. So you have to go to an Arab country first, and then you can go into Israel. You can't do it the, the opposite way. So we flew, years ago, we flew into Amman, Jordan, which is the capital of Jordan, which we saw this morning in my Sunday school class. We were talking about David, and when David sent his army to fight uh, the uh, the Ammonites at the city called Rabbath, which Rabbath, Amman, the Ammonites, the capital of Jordan today is Amman, Jordan. That's Ammonites, same people. Not exactly the same people, but exactly the same place. So the capital of Jordan today is the place that David sent his army to capture when David had the mistake, the sexual sin with Bathsheba. Same thing. So these are called Edomites. Now notice what it says. Esau took his wives from the daughters of Canaan, and Ida, the daughter of Elon the Hittite, and Olabama, the daughter of Anon, and the granddaughter of Zibion, the Hivite, also Basemoth, is Israel, uh, Ishmael's daughter, the sister of Naboth. And then they begin to, so as you, as you look at this, I, I can go to the next, go to the slides up here. That, first of all, the three wives that he has, that's verses one and two. Then as you begin to look down in verses four and five, I think that's what's next, the sons that were born to him. Notice it says, uh, uh, Ada born Elipaz to Esau and Basemeth born Reuel and Olabama born, and they begin to name these names. These are his sons. And a little bit later, we're going to look down, he has five sons. 
And look at verses 6 and 7 because this, this is the key. Verse 6 says, Esau took his wives and his sons and his daughters and all his household and all his livestock and all his cattle and all his goods which he'd acquired in the land of Canaan, which is that's where Jacob is, uh, Israel is, and he went to another land away from the, his brother Jacob. Why? For their property had become too great for them to live together, and the land which they sojourned could not sustain them because of their livestock. So Esau lived in the hill country of Seir, and then he says it again. Esau is Edom. So one of the sons, if you think about it, you've got Abraham and he had sons, uh, Isaac and Ishmael, and Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. And if you realize that a descendant of Isaac is actually the Edomites, that's his son. Then it begins to list a little bit longer than that. The Edomites are from Esau. Then in verses 10 through 14, and we won't read all this, but notice verse 10. These are the names of Esau's sons, and they begin to list them. And in verses 10 through 14, he not only lists his son, five sons, but he lists ten grandsons. So what you're seeing is a record of the descendants of Esau. And, of course, the truth is this. You look at these and you go, why do I... Why do I need to know these names? You really don't need to know these names. You won't remember these names if you try to know them anyway. But what he's trying to show us is these are the people that came from Esau, and these are the people that became the Edomites. And who are these people? We're going to see later on. They become enemies of Israel. Enemies of Israel. And we'll see that later on. Then in verses 15 through 19, we see what we call the chiefs and the political or the military leaders. Look at verse 15. These are the chiefs of the sons of Esau. The sons of Elipaz, the firstborn of Esau, are chief, and they begin to name names. Teman and Chief Omar and Chief Zebo and Chief Kinez and Chief Korah. And, Chief, and they begin to name all these names. These are people who became leaders who were descendants of Esau. And then you get in verses 20, going to 30, those are connected with Seir. These were people who lived there. Look at verse 20. These are the sons of Seir, the Horites, the inhabitants of the land. Now, these were people who were not necessarily descendant of Esau, but these were people who were living in that same place that he went. Okay? Then look at verses 31. I just don't want you to look at every one of these names, but look at 31 through 39. These are the kings in the land. Notice verse 31. Now, these are the kings who reigned in the land of Edom before any king reigned over the sons of Israel. He said, these are people who always lived in this land even before Esau went there. And then finally, in verses 40 through 43, the chiefs and descendants, basically the list of the chiefs. Verse 40, these are the names of the chiefs, the chiefs descended from Esau according to their families and their localities by their names. And then he began to list all these names. Notice verse 43. It just says, these are the chiefs of Edom. That is Esau, the father of the Edomites. So all we wanted to see from chapter 36 is that when Esau and Jacob split up, they could not live in the same land. There's too much there. So Esau decided to move to Seir, Mount Seir, which is a high place. He moved to a place, and ultimately he became the, the leader of the people who became the Edomites. That's what I wanted you to see. Uh, we're not through with these people. If you study through the Old Testament and you study through, you know, get through the uh, going off into captivity and then coming back, you're going to find that these people became enemies of Israel and uh, bad enemies of Israel. And and you could say, well, gosh, how could they be enemies of Israel? Because ultimately they're they're sort of related. They were, but they became enemies. Now, Moses the writer is now going to move from Esau and he's going to continue the story. He's going to move from Jacob 
to Joseph, the favored son. Now, sometimes, I told you a while ago that Joseph is sometimes seen to be a picture of Christ. He's also compared to Daniel. I want you to think about this. Both got wisdom from God. If you remember that Daniel was so wise that he was one of the wisest men and, and the, when he was taken off into captivity, Joseph was wis- got wisdom from God. Both of them had dreams and interpreted dreams. Daniel, the whole book of Daniel, if you start going through it as dream after dream after dream, Joseph had different dreams. Not only does he have dreams in this passage, but he had dreams after he got to Egypt. In fact, his dreams is what saved all the people's lives. Both were imprisoned for obedience. Joseph did what was right and got thrown into prison. J- Daniel did what was right and got thrown into prison. And both became rulers in foreign lands. Joseph became number two on the all-time list in Egypt. And Daniel became number two on the list of the Assyrians, uh, the, excuse me, the uh, Babylonians and the uh, uh, the people there. So it's powerful, powerful stuff. All right, now, let's... Let's see the life of Joseph. Sometimes people call his life from the pit to the palace. From the pit to the palace. Let's see how it goes. Look at uh, chapter 37. Look at verse 1. Now, Jacob lived in the land where his father had sojourned in the land of Canaan. Now, that's Jacob. And you remember him. There's Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. Jacob had been given the exact same promise of Abraham. God told Abraham he would give him a land, a seed, and a blessing. The land would be the land of Israel. The seed would be an offspring that would be so great that nobody could count him, and that through that seed a Messiah would come, and then the blessing would be that uh, he would be a blessing to the whole world. That's the Messiah is going to be the Savior. The same thing was told to Isaac. The same thing was told to Jacob. So here's Jacob living in the land where his fathers had lived. Verse 2, these are the records of the generation of Jacob. You would expect that if it's going to give you the records of the generation of Jacob, it would list all of his sons, and it would tell everything about them. But he doesn't. He's only going to list one at this stage, and that one son is Joseph, because he's the one that is going to be the most important one through the rest of the book. So there's so many things he could talk about, but he said, no, no, I'm going to talk about Joseph. And This is the formation of the nation. Watch. By the way, by the way, do you, you know, we say Abraham to Isaac to Jacob, and then Joseph was there and he got put into prison in Egypt. And the nation, uh, we'd say that the, uh, the, the Jewish people went down into Egypt. How many Jewish people were they when they went down into Egypt? Do you know? They're either 70 or 75. It's according to how you count it. You can count 70 in one way or 75 the other way. There are two different ways to count it. How many of them Jewish people were they when they came out of Egypt? About 2 million. So they're going to become a nation when they're in Egypt. They're not a nation now. They're a people. he got army. They, they've whipped some of the enemies around them. But they're not a nation. They're a family. A big family. Okay? Let's see what happens. Joseph was set, when, when Joseph was 17 years of age, was pastoring the, pastoring the flock with his brothers. While he was still a youth, along with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah and his father's wives, and Joseph brought back a bad report about them to their father. Now, Joseph is 17 years old. Some of you in this room maybe aren't 17. Most of you are over 17, right? I don't even remember when I was 17, right? So Joseph is a young man, 17 years old. And he's with his brothers, and Joseph brings back a bad report. What does that mean? What does that mean? He told on them. He came back and said, Dad, uh, the brothers are doing this and this and this and this and this, and that's wrong. 
Some people say, well, that Joseph was a well, tattletale is what he was. I mean, he, he comes back and tells on his brothers. But when you look back, that did they do something wrong? It says he gave back, brought back a bad report about them to their father. Had they done anything bad before? What have they done before? They killed a whole town. They killed, they went to the town of Shechem and killed every person there. Every man there and took the women and the children and the livestock and took it off. So what did they do here? That he came back and gave them a bad report. What did they do? We don't know. We don't know. He comes back and says, here's what they've done. Joseph is faithful to tell his dad. He's the faithful son among the unfaithful sons. Now, they're going to be real happy about this, aren't they? No, they're not. They're not. Notice verse 3. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than all his sons because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a very colored tunic. Some call it the multicolored tunic. In fact, the word I put... uh, Go ahead. Joseph loved him the most favorite son. The word very, very colored tunic is a very rare word. I mean, it's it's a Hebrew word that really means rare. See, it was a rare tunic. It was something special. Some people think the word means different colors. And so you remember you've heard people, Joseph in the coat of what? Many colors. But the word doesn't literally mean many colors. It means something rare, something unique. So throughout history, most people say that he gave him some kind of special coat. Some people say that it's just a long robe, a full-length robe that he would wear around that would mark him off from the rest of the brothers. Now, let me tell you something. Uh, if you were growing up and you had brothers and sisters and one of them got stuff you didn't get, how did you feel about that? You didn't always exactly like that, Right? But yeah, I want my brother to have the brand new car and I'll just take the bicycle, right? No, that's not what we wanted. He was the son of his old age. Israel loved him. Loved him more. Um, watch verse 4. His brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers and they hated him and could not speak to him on friendly terms. Whose fault is this? Whose fault is this? Say that again. Probably the first aspect of the fault is the daddy. Because he gave this son more than all the rest. It made it known that this son is the favored son. The rest of the sons say, we're nothing. We're nothing. See, because who was Joseph's mother? Rachel, his favorite wife. I mean, he had Rachel and Leah and the two handmaids, and they produced all these children. But this is the son from the wife that he loved. And everybody knows it. We've already seen when they were coming back, and, and he, he was going to protect them. He put, he put the maids up first and their kids, and then everybody, and then finally Rachel and at the end. We've seen what he wants to do. They all know it. And now Joseph, now let me ask you something. So part of the problem is because Jacob is showing favoritism. Is there any other reason for part of the problem? Yeah. Well, what has Joseph been doing? Joseph been telling on him. And see, Joseph says, I don't do bad and you do. <laughs> That's what he does. I'm really the good son. I don't get myself in trouble. I know more than you know. And they would say, you are only what? Seventeen, what do you think you know? You don't know anything. Because he was the oldest, 
but they were all jealous of him, I'm sure. How would you, what would you do if you grew up with a brother that never did anything wrong at all? Did Jesus ever sin? Did he ever mess up? Let me ask you something. Is it a sin to spill your milk? Is it a sin to lose your keys? It's not right. Could Jesus have tripped and fallen? Could he have spilled his milk? Yeah, is that, that's not sin, is it? I mean, when we say Jesus never sinned, it didn't mean he never tripped or fell down or, or I, I, I tore a hole in my little jacket here. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Sometimes we got the wrong view of Jesus. But I'm going to tell you, uh, he never sinned, and his brothers knew that. They might say to him, what do you think? You're God? What would he say? Yes. <laughs> now, with Joseph, same kind of thing. They're saying, who do you think you are? And Joseph says, well, you know, I'm... I'm, I'm the sharpest. Now watch. Then Joseph had a dream. And he told it to his brothers. And they hated him even more. See, he had a dream. I don't know if there's a slide for this. Yeah, God gives Joseph dreams. And he had a dream. And, and here's the key. The dream was revealing that Joseph is chosen by God as the leader. Do you know Joseph knows at age 17, 18, that he believes he's supposed to be the leader of his family? Now, you'd say, that's not even possible because, first of all, you're about the youngest one. you still got a daddy. The daddy's the leader of the family. How do you think you're going to be the leader of the family? Notice the dream. He told his brothers the dream, and they hated him even more. Well, what is the dream? He said to them, please listen to this dream which I have had. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaves rose up and also stood erect. And behold, your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to my sheaf. What does that mean? What was he telling them? They're all going to bow down to him. Look at the, I think the, the, it was symbolic that Joseph would be the ruler of his brothers. Was he the ruler of his brothers? Did they bow down to him? Did they bow to him and didn't even know they were bowing down to him? They came up when Joseph is in Egypt and he looks like an Egyptian and he's speaking Egyptian and they come up and he recognizes them and he doesn't tell them who they are and they're all bowing down before him. He could have looked at him and said, I told you so. He didn't. At least not at that point. It's a foreshadow of the things to come. God is working. God is in control. God is letting Joseph know this. They didn't understand what the dream meant. Look what they say to him. And his brother said to him, are you actually going to reign over us? What's the answer? Yes. Are you really going to rule over us? What's the answer? Yes. So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. They hated him. So it's not a great thing. You know, if you've looked at this, was Abraham's family a great family? Did they have a lot of problems? Did Isaac and his family have a lot of problems? Did Jacob and his family have a lot of problems? I mean, just think about this. When you read and you read of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and David, you think these people were just, everything was just so great. It's not great. It's just like us. They got all kind of problems. They hated him even more. Verse 8 says, so they hated him even more. Listen to this. Uh, they hated him more because, first of all, he had told on them. He was the favorite son, and his dream said that I'm going to rule over you. Wow. Well, he has another dream. Look at the second dream. Now, he had still another dream and related to, to his brothers and said, Lo, I have still had another dream. And behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. Now, in the scripture, 
especially when God is giving revelation through dreams. Anytime you have a dream and then you have another dream that matches it, that's giving revelation that is important to look to. You remember in Egypt when he had the dream, when Pharaoh had the dream, and the first dream was what? All these cows came out, and the, these skinny cows ate the, ate the heavy cows up. And then there was the corn stalks, good corn, and the bad corn ate the... Those were two different dreams, but they were the same dream. That's why Joseph later on says these two dreams are one and the same. He said, oh, I had a second dream. The first dream is all the brothers were going to bow down before him. What's the second dream? He says, lo, I had this other dream, and behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. Well, who is the sun and the moon? And the eleven stars. Who do you think? The sun, the moon, and the eleven stars. The sun is his daddy. The moon is his mother. And the eleven stars are his brother. He's saying the whole family is going to bow down to me. Everybody's going to bow down to me. He related it to his father. How do you think Jacob or Israel is going to relate to this one? He related to his father and to his brothers. And his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have had? Shall I and your mother and your brothers actually come to bow ourselves before down before you to the ground? Is he going to rule over them? When you get to Egypt, when, when they all get to Egypt as a family, who's the ruler in Egypt? Joseph is. Joseph's number two to the Pharaoh. They're all going to bow down to him. This dream is going to come true. The brothers were jealous. They didn't want him to rule. Jacob, look what Jacob says. Verse 11 says, his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. In other words, he kept thinking, what could this mean? Now, he loves, he loves Joseph more than all the rest of them. Let me tell you something. Do you know what the brothers think? They think that if every one of them died, and Joseph was alive, he'd be okay with that. That's what they think. Let me ask you something. Do you think that Jacob would be okay if all of them died but Joseph? He was willing to put them all up there to die the other way, wasn't he? He put them all up there first. You just never know. kept this in his mind because he realizes this is something from God. Realize that the choice of Joseph is an act of grace. What did Joseph do that God would choose him to be, in a sense, the favored son and the one who would deliver the nation of Israel? What did Joseph do for that to happen? Nothing. Nothing. What did Abraham do to be chosen by God to be the one to which the Messiah and the nation of Israel come through him? Nothing. What did Jacob do? Nothing. What did Isaac do? Nothing. What has Joseph done? Absolutely nothing. It's the grace of God. God deals with us in grace. I want to show you this. We've talked about this before, but the three key words of grace, mercy, and justice. Grace is getting what we do not deserve. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. And justice is getting what we do deserve. Now, we don't want the justice of God. I want you to understand that. We want the grace of God, which is getting what we do not deserve. We say, give me your grace. We want the mercy of God, which is not getting what we do deserve. But we don't want the justice of God. 
If every one of us got the justice of God, be careful when you say, I want things to be just. I want things to be exactly right. When you deal with God, God says, no, no, you really don't. You want me to deal with you in grace. Go to the next slide. Because what we realize is grace. God deals with us in grace. He has given us salvation by grace. We don't deserve it. What do we deserve? Death. So the grace of God is we get eternal life as a gift. We don't deserve salvation, but we get that. Think about mercy. Mercy is not getting death, but getting salvation. Because what do we deserve? See, mercy is not getting what we deserve. We all deserve to be separated from God forever. And God in his mercy says, no, I'm not going to give you what you deserve. Grace is, I'm going to give you what you don't deserve. And if you notice justice, justice demands that we die. Because the soul that sins shall what? Die. The wages of sin is that we're supposed to die. But what God does in his justice, he pours it out on Jesus Christ. God is a just God. God did not overlook his justice. God just poured out his justice on Jesus. Jesus became our substitute and died in our place. God in his grace gives us salvation and his mercy. He does not give us death. And his justice demands that we die, but Jesus died for us. That's the greatest message of all. Every one of us in this room, we deserve to be separated from God forever. We deserve the justice of God, which is to be separated. But God, in his grace, giving us what we do not deserve, and in his mercy, not giving us what we do deserve, poured out his justice on Jesus, who died in our place rather than we dying, rather than us dying. He poured it out on Jesus Christ, who died in our place, and offers us, in his grace, eternal life. It's beautiful. Beautiful. Well, watch what happens. We're going to see Joseph as a faithful man. Um... Verse 11 says, His brothers were jealous of him, but the father kept the saying in his mind. Verse 12. Then his brothers went to pasture their father's flock. Where? What do you think of when you think of Shechem? You think you king of killing. That's where he killed, that's where they killed all these people. If I were them, I'd probably stay away from Shechem, right? But they're up there around Shechem. So Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock in Shechem? Come and I will send you to them. And he said, I will go. So his brothers in Shechem, Jacob says, I want to send Joseph there. Joseph is a faithful guy. He says, I'll go. So look what happened. He said, then he said to him, go now and see about the welfare of your brothers and the welfare of the flock and bring word back to me. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron and he came to Shechem. So uh, Joseph does exactly what his daddy tells him to do. When he gets there, a man found him and behold, he was wandering in the field. And the man said and asked him, what are you looking for? You can almost see Joseph out there going, supposed to be up here to check them. A guy comes up, what are you looking for? He said, well, I'm looking for my brothers. That's what they said. The man found him, and behold, he was wandering in the field. And the man said, what are you looking for? He said, I'm looking for my brothers. Please tell me where they're pasturing the flock. Let me ask you something. Do you think in the Shechem area that these brothers might be famous? They might be. They're known as what? Killers. Uh, if you see somebody from a descendant of Jacob, uh, around that area, what would most people do? Let's stay away from them. So he said, I'm looking for my brothers. Please tell me where they're passing the flock. Well, the man said, they moved from here. For I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. Now, you know what Joseph could have done? When they weren't there in Shechem, and he didn't know exactly where they were, and a man said, I think they went to Dothan, Joseph could have gone back home and said, I couldn't find them. Uh, somebody thought they moved to Jochum, uh, Dothan, but I don't know. But what did his daddy tell him to do? 
Go find them. So he's going to keep finding them. Now they moved to Dothan. You know what Dothan means? It means two cisterns, two wells, two holes in the ground. Thus, the holes in the ground, a cistern is a place, of course, that they catch the water, especially during the rainy season, they catch the water and keep it there so they can have water uh, later on. The winter months is when they catch it. Uh, he goes and finds them there. He does what his father wants him to do. Now, as he's coming, his brothers are going to see him. Now, he is not a favorite brother, right? Notice. When they saw him from a distance, they came, and before he came close to them, they plotted against him to put him to death. They saw him coming, and they wanted to kill him. Because, see, if you kill him, he's never going to have these what? He's not going to have any more dreams. You put this dreamer to death, no more dreams. We're tired of his dreams. We're tired of the favoritism. We're tired of everything. We don't even like him. In fact, we hate him. And we see him coming. And they said, look who's coming. Look who's coming. Yeah, dreamer's coming. I tell you what, if it was up to me, I'd kill him. I think that's what we ought to do. Well, you know what? If we killed him, it'd be the end of the dreams. It sure would. Verse 19. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Now then, come, let us kill him and throw him into one of these pits. And we will say, a wild beast devoured him. Then let us see what become of his dreams. See, if they kill him, they say, if they kill him, those dreams can't come true because we're not bound down to him if he's dead. He's gone. Let's just kill him and throw him in one of these pits. And what we can do is tell Dad that some wild beast ate him up, caught him when he wasn't looking, ate him up. That's all we have to do is just go back and say, a wild beast. But notice, verse 21. Tell me who this son is right here, this brother. But Reuben heard this. And rescued him out of their hands and said, no, 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 let's not take his life. Who's Reuben? Oldest son. He's the oldest son. See, the oldest brother speaks up. He has a plan to rescue him. He says, let's don't kill him. He says, look, I don't think it's a good idea to kill my brother. Why do you think he sticks up? Why do you think he wants to save Joseph's life? Do you remember who this guy is? You remember what he did? No, but but what did Reuben do wrong later on? Ex- yeah, well, he slept with they slept with one of his father's wives. He slept with one of those handmaids, and he got himself into real bad trouble for that. So. Why does he care? Well, he'd done wrong once with his father's maid. So maybe he could good in good with dad because he's going to save the favorite son. Maybe that's what he's trying to do. Maybe that's why he cares. We don't know. We don't have enough information, but it could be. He is the head of the brothers. He is the one to take the lead. He doesn't want his brother killed. So he's going to try to stop it. He says, no, 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 let's, let's, let's don't kill him. Let's don't kill him. In fact, next time, as we look at this, He's going to say, let's don't kill him. Let's just throw him in the pit. Let's just throw him in the pit. And see, his plan was this. You'll read it carefully next week or next time. His plan was to throw him in the pit, and then they all pretend to leave, and then he's going to come back and pull him out of the pit. That's the plan. But you know what happens? Reuben leaves to go do something, and what do they do? They sell him into slavery. And when Reuben comes back, he goes, where is he? He's not, he's not in the pit. 
Where is he? We sold him to the Ishmaelites heading into Egypt. That's what happened. Joseph's going to be sold into slavery, taken to Egypt. It looks bad. If you're Joseph, that looked like a bad thing. Let me ask you something. You've gone from being a favorite son in a family that is a very wealthy family. Am I correct? Are they rich people? they got all kind of possessions. They're, they're rich. They're everything. You've gone from being the favorite son with a big coat in the rich family to being a slave in bondage being taken to Egypt. It's not a good life now. But God works all things together for good. And you remember someday he will tell his brothers, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. Sometimes in our lives there are things happen and it looks bad and we say that person did that on purpose. But what we can say is God has allowed this to happen. And they may mean it, mean it for evil, but God works all things together for good. You have to trust him. We're going to stop there. We've seen the transition passing from Isaac and Esau basically to Jacob to Joseph. God choosing Joseph to rule by God's grace is responsible by his brothers, their hatred. They're going to sell him into slavery. That's the plan. Let me give you some applications. First of all, realize that God, that in God's grace, he saved us. Just just the way that he has taken care of Joseph. I don't know if I have a slide. I think I do. Yeah, Joseph, God chose him to rule. God, in his grace, raised him up. God, in his grace, has saved us. It's by grace we're saved through faith and not of ourselves. I think when, I think the greatest message, and people sometimes ask me, J.B., what's your favorite verse? And I go, well, what, really, it's whatever you're studying at the time is the favorite. But the bottom line is, my favorite verse is Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Because it says, for by grace, getting what you do not deserve, you have been what? Saved, not to be separated from God forever. By grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's not what you did. It's the what? The gift of God. It can't be earned. It can't be anything you do. A gift is given to you freely. It's the gift of God. It's not works lest anybody could ever boast. None of us can say, hey, I did this, and that's why God saved me. We can say, by the grace of God, we are saved. Jesus died for me, paid for my sins, and God offers me eternal life as a gift. It is the grace of God that we are saved. Grace, by definition, is something that is free. It cannot be earned. We do not deserve it. There is no merit in it for us. And when people grasp grace, they are never the same. Now, let me tell you something. There are a lot of people who talk about grace. They don't understand it. I always use this illustration of a pastor that I heard. It was on TV. And he said, God has a gift for you, to new, for you tonight. God has a, a message of grace for you. Jesus died for you. And it's all grace. So tonight, if you'll repent of your sins, give your life to Jesus, walk down the aisle, make a public profession, he will save you. That's not grace. They're saying grace, but it's not grace. There are a lot of people who say, well, it's all grace, and then they say the four things you have to do. Or they say the thing you have to keep doing. Or they say this and this and this. Listen, your salvation is not based on you. It is based on the gift of eternal life, which is given to you simply by faith in Jesus Christ. And when you believe in him as your Savior, you are saved and saved forever, and it's the grace of God. And we never want to take that for granted. God saves us by his grace. He takes us by his grace through the Christian life. By the grace of God, we look for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our Savior. Second, may we be faithful as children of God. Because what I wanted to see is that Joseph was faithful to do what his father told him to do. 
He went wherever his father told him to do. We become children of God by faith. Colossians 3.17, whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father by him. Whatever we do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord. We want to be faithful children. 1 Corinthians 4.2, moreover, brethren, is required of stewards to be found what? To be found faithful. That's what we want to do. Realize there are going to be times when it's not going to be easy to be faithful. It's going to be times that when we are faithful, we could be rejected and hated by other people. When you take a stand for Jesus Christ and say, I believe that, let me tell you, you can talk about God all you want to. You can get with all kind of people, all kind of places, and you say, I love God, I love God, everybody loves God. God's great, God's great, God's great. But when you say, Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation, He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through Him, and it is simply by grace through faith plus nothing, you will make enemies. Right then. Right then. Just try it. Go any place you want to. Stand up at any meeting. And say, let me tell you what I think. See what happens. You can go to a place with nothing but pastors and say that message and you'll become an enemy right then. Because most people do not believe it is Jesus only and most people do not believe it is simply by faith in Christ. So we want to be faithful and realize that when you're faithful, sometimes people will be against you. Jesus said, if they hated me, they'll what? They'll hate you. If they persecuted me, They'll persecute you. The third thing, realize the progression of sin. Think about this. Look what we saw. First they were angry with Joseph. Then they hated him. And then ultimately he wanted him what? He wanted him dead. Sin does that. We've been seeing it in our Sunday school class. We've been looking at the study of temptation. And we see how sin progresses. You know, there's a temptation. And then there's the, the pull of the flesh. And, and then there's sin. And then there's death. That's what it boils down to. We have to stop. With the whole idea, when temptation comes, and it comes all the time, and everything in temptation is not sin. To be tempted is not to sin. Jesus was tempted in all points, lit without sin. So we can be tempted. That doesn't mean sin. But the moment we move into the, we move away from temptation into doing something wrong, it is sin, and and, it, and it's a progression. We are capable of any sin. I've said this a lot of times. I've been saying it a lot in Sunday school, but it's something that you have to grasp. If you say tonight that there are some sins you would never do, you are wrong. You do not know what you would do. You can be in the wrong place at the wrong time, and you may do the wrong thing. David never thought he would commit adultery and kill a man. Moses probably never thought he would kill a man and hide him in the sand. Peter never thought he would deny Christ three times. In fact, he said, I will not do that. So be careful. Realize that we are capable of any sin, and that's why we have to live in the power of the Holy Spirit based on the Word of God as a walk of faith. We want to live for the glory of God. So may we realize that God in His grace has sent us Jesus Christ for eternal life. We want to live faithfully as children, that we are capable of any sin, and and we realize that sin can progress and take us further than we ever imagined it could take us. So be very careful, because these brothers, they started off not liking him, then they hate him, and now they want to kill him. And of course, we're stopping right here, where Reuben says, let's don't kill him, let's don't kill him. We'll see what happens. Heavenly Father, what a what a great night. Thank you for our study. Thank you for all the things that we see in this passage. We look at the life of, of uh, Joseph and, and what he does with his brothers. And Lord, we just realize these great truths, that uh, it's your grace always. Thank you for saving us by grace through faith plus nothing. May we never take it for granted.
May we tell people about the grace of God. I hope and pray, Lord, that everyone in this room has understood grace. And they really see what grace is because we know it takes time really to grasp grace in its fullest. And may we continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Lord, may we be faithful, men and women, as we seek to live for you. And we realize, Lord, that sin can get us and that progression can get us. And may we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit and will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. May we have victory in the Christian life. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.